Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Oh, Mr. Hart, before we get started, real quickly, are you a Coke or Pepsi guy if you had to choose? Well, I'll be honest, both of them have caffeine in them, I believe. So mm-hmm. I kind of I've kind of jumped off the wagon on that. Years ago, when I was a little bitty Jimmy Hart growing up, I used to drink a lot of Coca-Cola. And then I drink <laughs> Pepsi too. But uh both of them I'm sure are great. They do great business, but uh I've kind of tried to stay away from caffeine. Yeah, but we had a little we had a little mini debate yesterday. I just wanted to get I just wanted to get a legend's take. He said Coke first, Brian. Do you hear him? He said Coke first. I, I heard him. I heard him. <laughs> Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy you're, you're telling me you don't drink caffeine. You have so much energy every time I so see So fired you. up. Well, you, that's all yeah. natural? Well, no Red Bull, no coffee, uh, no caffeine. I'm trying to cut back on a lot of that, you know, and so uh, try to stay a little bit. The older you get, you're trying to get a little bit more healthier, so... Uh, at my age, I'm trying to really stay healthy. <laughs> I love, I love, I love it. Yeah. Mania. You will never take us alive. Gotta think about the drama inside. Mr. Mac Mania. You will never take us alive. Gotta think about the drama inside. Mr. Mac Mania. You will never take us alive. Gotta think about the drama inside. Mr. Mac Mania. You will never take us alive. Gotta think about the drama inside. Mr. Mac Mania. My people, it's been 37 years since WrestleMania 1 went down in Madison Square Garden, the Mecca. It was billed the greatest wrestling event of all time. However, this Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, WWE on A&E will present its season finale of biography, WWE Legends. And for the first time, it will not just focus on a particular superstar, but instead an event, the iconic WrestleMania 1. There was a lot of people at this event, and there's someone here in particular that was at that event the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Kind sir, how are you? Thank you for joining us. It's an honor and a pleasure. You know, I am wonderful. Can you believe that many years ago and Jimmy Hart's still alive and kicking? It's unbelievable. Listen, I, I, on a serious note, I'm glad this, I'm glad you're here. I don't want to put any mortality on someone as great as you or anybody that I've I've grew up watching. It, it literally just it's surreal surreal talking to you with the fellas and um and having you here and, and through all your experiences. But really quickly, what what's your what do you remember about about that night? What was that night to, for you? Like what was going through your head as far as what Jimmy Hart had to do and and just just that that night at the Mecca? 
Well, you know, that whole week was crazy. You know, I originally came in uh, to New York from Memphis, Tennessee, with Jerry the King, Lauren, Andy Coppin, and so on and so on. And that's where my career really started. And, of course, I was so lucky because I had the phone call from Howard Finkel back in the day. They had watched some of our tapes in Memphis, and they said Vince had, had told him. He said, look, let's check this Jimmy Hart kid out. So I flew to New York from Memphis originally, and I started about two months before the first WrestleMania. So I was very blessed, very lucky for that. So, um, uh but I remember so well the, the first WrestleMania because getting ready for that night, I rode over to the building with Greg the Hammer Valentine, who I was managing along with King Kong Bundy, who King Kong Bundy had originally managed in Memphis, Tennessee before New York. So I was kind of familiar with everybody. And uh, the only other time I'd been in Madison Square Garden, before I started wrestling, I was part of a music group called The Gentries. We had a big yes, you were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, called Keep On Dancing. Keep on dancing. Yeah, yep. baby. Keep on Listen, dancing. We, we was going to get to that. Don't, 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 don't go into that just <laughs> <Yes>. yet. Okay, <laughs> I won't, but I was just going to lead you what up to it. So I'd been in Madison Square Garden before with the Beach Boys, because we used to do tours for the Beach wow. Boys back then with Dick Clark. So I'd been in Madison Square Garden once before. And so all of a sudden, there we are, Madison Square Garden, the day of the show, the night of the show coming up. And I get there early with Greg the Hammer Valentine. I was riding in with him. And we get our car parked. We walk in. And so Greg goes, well, I'm going to go over here. And I said, well, look, I just want to kind of look at the garden again. So I went to look at the garden. And I passed by a lot of the rooms. And on the doors, I could see Liberace had this room. Billy Martin had this room. Uh, Cindy Lauper was going to be over here. All, the, all of our guys, the bad guys, the heels, we were going to have our room together, the good guys on the <laughs> other side. So I kind of looked at all the verbiage and the and everything around the building. So I kind of got my bearings together, and I realized where we were going to come out to, where the grill position was going to be, and how we were going to go to the ring. And I just kind of walked around at that and looked at that empty building. It was such a thrill to me to see that again. Incredible stuff. I, you know, you say Howard Finkel gave you a phone call. I hope that whenever he answered the phone or called you on the phone, he said your name in an announcer-like voice and didn't just say, hey, is Jimmy Hart there? I hope he was like, is Jimmy Hart there? You know, <laughs> That's how that. I expect he'd talk everywhere he went. Uh, like, I live literally. I <laughs> you know, he really did. But you see, back then, the only cable TV we had was, was uh, the, the WCW, you know, the one out of Turner down mm -hmm. in Atlanta, Georgia. So I never knew what was really kind of happening in New York except through the wrestling magazines. So... We heard through the grapevine that there was going to be this big show taking place called WrestleMania coming up and that uh, they were taking different talent, some of their stars, out of some of the, the territories, whether it was Georgia, uh, Tennessee, uh, of course, Texas and everything else to put this one giant show together. So I was just thrilled to get the phone call. When, when you got the call and you obviously WrestleMania clearly has become a pretty big deal over the years. And as you said, everyone knew a big show was coming. but when did it hit you just how big WrestleMania was or was going to be? Did you know going into it or did it take some time after it was over to look back and go, that was a big deal? Probably about after three or four months when it was over, because I'd come on up there about two months ahead of time. And I was on some of the house shows and some of the shows that we were doing back then, which was great. But after WrestleMania, it seemed like there was more people more TV cameras want to interview everybody that had been part of that particular event. And that's what made me realize then, oh my gosh, I'll make the right choice. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it's, what's interesting about WrestleMania is that it, it occurred in my lifetime. And I thought I knew the entire story of WrestleMania and what it stands for. But this is a new take on it uh, with the A&E series this weekend. What was different from your end? The, the questions they asked, the way it was set up. What makes this documentary stand out when it comes to looking back at WrestleMania? 
Well, looking back at some of the stars that were really on it, how big it really was, because sometimes right. if we go, you know, 52 weeks a year, it's not like baseball, football, or basketball, where everything's seasonal. You know, we just go from town to town to town to town, you know, and you really never have a, a time back in the day to, to kind of reflect back on what really happened the night before. But being part of that WrestleMania, think about this, man. When you see Liberace, uh, Billy Martin, Muhammad Ali, just to mention a few, Cindy Lauper, who was red hot on the music scene back then with MTV. And I think that's what really helped push this thing over too, was being part of MTV, kind of our tag team partner back then. And so it was just something that uh, that you really didn't realize what was happening until it was really over three or four months later. And you still saw the publicity out there, the newspaper articles and the interviews that people wanted to do with you. It's good stuff. Mr. Hart, I'm curious to a person that that's worked with so many people over the years when, when wrestling was coming into its own mainstream wise and you, and you walking out with, with the likes of people like Hogan, can you, can you, in your, in your words, in your mind, in your opinion, what, what does Hogan, Hulk Hogan mean to the wrestling industry, wrestling as a, as a whole? Well, first of all, I just saw the day before yesterday, a big flash bulletin came across my phone. Hulk Hogan, his card, his uh, trading card in Japan just sold for $50,000. It said it's the highest selling trading card of any wrestler ever in this business. Wow. But uh, I think he meant so much. Uh, I knew Hulk in Memphis, too, by the way, when he was going as Terry Bollea, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember I was still in music, but Jerry Lauder, I was doing stuff with Jerry Lauder with his wrestling album. He invited me to come by the Coliseum one night. And they said, you see this big guy in the ring right there? And I went, oh, my God, yeah, who is he? He goes, he's Terry Bollea. Terry Boulder is what they call him. And I said, he's awesome, man. And Laura goes, and Laura swears to me. He goes, I never said that. I never said it. But I keep saying, King, you did, you did, you did. He said, what do you think about it? And I said, because I've got a chance to sign him to get 10% of him. That's what King said, right? <laughs> and I said, you're going to do it, aren't you? He goes, trust me, this guy will never make a dime in this business. And I always wow. remind the King of that, but he denies it to this day. <laughs> and, uh, but, I, but I met, uh, you know, Hulk back in the end. We were friends. Then when I knew York. Uh, we were friends up there, too. I never really managed him right off the bat. I managed all the bad guys back then. But uh, looking back on it, selling merch, you know, because being a professional wrestler is great. But, I mean, you got to have more than just being able to get in the ring and work. I mean, yes, it's about selling merchandise. It's all about relating to the people. It's all about your interviews. And trust me, people ain't going to – and I tell everybody, Chris Jericho asked me something one time in WCW. He goes, Jimmy, how do you know when you're really over? And I said, let me tell you something, pal. When you start looking out in that audience night after night and you see people making their signs with your name on it, whether you suck or you're great or you're awful or we hate you or we love you, that's the first step, knowing that you're over. The second step is when you go out and you check out the merchandise table and you see your T-shirts flying off the shelf like pancakes, then you know you've really made it. And that's the bottom line to it. Jimmy, or at WrestleMania 1, you talk about managing. You managed... Uh... Greg the Hammer Valentine, as well as King Kong Bundy. And you talked about all the stars being there that night, Liberace, Muhammad Ali. Did they have any markout moments, the guys that you were managing, or did they get in fandom mode for any of the celebrities that was there that night? Well, first of all, I did, but but they were taking <laughs> too. Like, Mr. T was great. You know, Huck had brought him in. And Mr. T was trying to get pictures of everybody, especially all the people. I think he brought an entourage of about 15 or 20 people. But uh, he was they were taking pictures of everybody. And and then uh, Liberace got great pictures made with him. And and 
I was kind of scared to kind of walk up at first because they're such big names, but they came up and said, you might want to get a picture made. I went, oh my gosh. And, I, and plus I just got to New York two months before that. So uh, I was so excited to get pictures made with everybody. And of course, uh, Cindy Lopper, uh, her manager, Dave Wolf at the time, was a big fan of my group, the Gentrys, back in the day uh, when we had Keep On Dancing out and doing all the Dick Clark tours. So that night I got Dick Clark to sign my original album because I knew he was going to be on it. So I brought my Gentry album. And you forget back in my era, before I got into wrestling, I always loved wrestling. Anyhow, a lot of people didn't know that. But when we were on the Dick Clark tours, which were bus tours back then, you know, we do uh, a 10 or 12 day bus tour with the Beach Boys, Sonny and Cheryl on it. Uh, wow. the Dave Clark Five, all those groups back in the day. So it was just great doing that back then. So I carried my, my Gentry album up to uh, New York when we did the show, and I got Dick, I still got it too. Dick Clark signed it for me, which was a thrill for me. So as you, you talk, we talk about people you manage. Uh, as a fan, you always, we always look at wrestlers and we think this person maybe isn't as good on the microphone. They need someone to speak for them or maybe someone doesn't have the, quite the personality. They need a manager to be next to them to help bring out that personality. Uh, Jimmy, you worked with a lot of people that did have personalities that were able to be good on the microphone. Uh, as someone who managed people, what did you look for in someone you wanted to work with on screen? And did you ever worry that maybe someone like a, a Hulk Hogan, obviously it worked out, but maybe Hulk Hogan was already a big personality and you'd be kind of lost in the shuffle next to him. Well, you know what? I never really thought about, I was so grateful to get the opportunity to go to New York, to be part of WrestleMania one, which we didn't know if it was going to be a big success or a big flop, you know, thank God it turned out to be great. But, uh, <laughs> whoever the, whoever the promoters, I've had two promoters in my life, Jerry Jarrett out of Memphis, and he put me with a lot of great people. And that's when I kind of got my, my, uh, I guess started my career going, which was great. And then of course, Vince McMahon. And like I said, both of them were so gracious to me. Vince is the one that gave me the megaphone. He brought the megaphone to Japan and said, this is going to be one of your new trademarks, your gimmick to carry to the ring with you. And I said, can I paint it up? He said, do anything you want to with it. So wow. he really opened the door for that. So I'm always grateful for that. But I think all of them realized my worth ethic. You know, I was always on time, dependable, whatever they wanted me to do. And I was very colorful because I remember something Dick Clark said to mm -hmm. me back in the days of our, of our touring group. He got everybody together in a room. He said, look, this is the first night of our tour. But remember, some nights you might have a cold. Some nights your, your voice might not be up to par. Some night you might not feel like performing. Do the best you can. But remember this. If you dress like the audience, one day you're going to wind up sitting in the audience, which means be colorful. Give the people their money's worth. They came to see somebody different, something special. So I was mm. able to take that over to the wrestling business, too, and make my jackets wild and crazy and colorful. And Vince McMahon went along with that. You know, and he let me do whatever I really wanted to do back then. And so I was so grateful for him to let me be Jimmy Hart. And back then, our interviews weren't scripted. We got to everything we said came from our own head, whether it was good or whether it was bad. We were <laughs> able to create it ourselves. So that really helped a lot, too. Awesome. Wow. What great advice. Dress like the audience and you'll be sitting, be sitting the there in the audience. Yeah. What <laughs> powerful. Um, real quick. And if I can jump in real quick, you mentioned the. Um, the 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 megaphone or the the blowhorn and the uh how come managers don't have any of these things today jim Cornette used to have the racket you used to have that why don't people have those anymore <laughs> and mr fuji had the cane i don't yes. know you know everything's different now because i know a lot of thing is written out uh writers write a lot of your interviews out for the for the talent now that the wwf and wb have which all the talent's great anyhow and so they probably got so much stuff going on. That's why they use a lot of the writers. You don't see a lot of managers anymore because I think they want the, the wrestlers to really be able to talk themselves, 
and that helps their character. Because if you look at Dusty Rhodes, great, great on the microphone. Oh my God, Hulk Hogan, great on the microphone. Piper, tremendous, you know. And so uh, I think, but that came from us having uh, the territories back in the day where, trust me, back then there were no guaranteed money coming in. So if you didn't talk the, the fans into see you and paid to buy that ticket, you weren't going to be around very long. So uh, I think things just changed. So a lot of the managers don't need to have that. But I do one of my favorite groups, the New Day. I noticed uh, one of them carries the trombone with him sometimes and still plays it, you know. And mm-hmm. so, uh, like I said before, so every now and then you'd see a little bit of character. But back in the day, you know, the Bulldogs had Matilda. Mr. Fuji had a cane. I had a megaphone, you know. And that was just something that took a place back in that era. But uh, I, that's a good question. I don't know why they don't really don't have that now. Hmm. I think about it. I don't know if it was it was the great Dick Clark that got you to do that, but I, I always wanted to talk about the jacket game, Jimmy Hart. When I was growing up, that that it, it always grabbed my eye—not just the, your your personality and your energy, but those those jackets. And I, I think I subconsciously try to challenge channel you when I go out on when I paint the town red with my wife. I try to rock my my best Jimmy Hart jacket. Can you can you talk to me about the process? Who made the jackets? What was what was going on through your head? It was a it was a colorful bundle of joy these past years when I was growing up, brother. Well, what I used to do when we first started in wrestling, even though I had a little bit of money left for the music business, but uh, when you wasn't touring a lot anymore, you know, things got a little tight. So when I got in the wrestling business down in Memphis and just starting off, I used to go to uh, uh, the old tuxedo places and get some of their used tuxedo jackets. Oh. So guy down there that would airbrush my jackets for me. And, wow. and, and so that's how it really kind of started. And of course, as I made a little bit more money, a little bit more change back in the day, I still went to the old tuxedo places, still got my ready-made tuxedo jackets, the used one. And then I had different people airbrush them. And then I had a, a there's a lady now with WWE that still does my jackets for me, Jolene. She puts my WWE logos on them for me and uh, puts the hearts on them. And I try to stick with the hearts and stuff since I'm not managing a lot of people right now. But back in the day, I'd get my airbrush guys. I didn't want any of my guys to feel left out. So if I was with Bundy, I had a big King Kong Bundy jacket. If I was with Earthquake and Typhoon or the Honky Tonk Man or Heart Foundation, I'd do the different colors to make all of them feel special. And they airbrushed everything on it. And then sometimes uh, for our special shows with Honky Tonk Man, we put all the musical notes on there too. So I just had different people through the years that really helped me out create them and uh, and make them look very standoutish. Because like I said, I remember what Dick Clark said, if you dress like the audience, one day you're going to want to sit in the audience. So I still do that to this day. Spectacular. The, for, for the young whippersnappers that don't know out, out there, you, you were in the, the, a group called the Gentries. You mentioned it a couple of times, and it's really awesome because I kind of grew up on that music. My, my wife grew up on the 60s music, and, and our parents were very fortunate enough to get, get us into to great music when we were growing up. And can you can you just talk to me about as far as that group goes was was that was that always your trajectory is that what you wanted to do for a living did, would do do you have any any regrets at all jimmy hart are you is that or are you are you comfortable with with this with the legendary status you've obtained um in wrestling what 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 did you want to do was this was this it no i'll tell you the truth when i first came out of high school i wanted to be a greyhound bus driver believe wow. that and so that's what i really wanted to be why i don't know and so in high school, we put a group together to really get out of study hall. And uh, we called it the, the Gentries. And we entered a contest. And um, the winner got to go to a Ted Max original amateur hour, which was in Miami Beach, Florida, which was first kind of like the first American Idol show that Simon Cowell put together. And so uh, we went down there. We won. We came back home too much later. They called us and said, hey, you won again. We went back down to Miami again. And this was kind of a nationwide show sponsored by Geritol. 
probably I'll probably need some of that now. But uh, <laughs> I, I need some of that, Jimmy. <laughs> now, Memphis, so I had the pleasure back in the day of meeting Elvis Presley twice because one of our old managers, Marty Lacker, who's passed away since then, and George Klein, who used to be a local DJ there. Uh, they were part of the Memphis Mafia, but they were friends of mine. So I got to meet Elvis a couple of times, Jerry Lee Lewis and all those stars back then. And after we left MGM Records, we went to Sun Records, which Sam Phillips owned that, but his son, Knox Phillips, is the one that produced us. And we had a couple of more hits besides Keep On Dancing, Cinema Girl, and Why Should I Cry on those records. So um, we did all that with the music. And I really didn't plan to do the music. But as everything went going, you know, we kept going on and digging and digging and digging. But like I said, on those tours, I always loved watching wrestling every morning. If we were in Atlanta, Georgia, I'd watch Dusty Rhodes. If we were in Charlotte, I'd watch the TV stations on Saturday morning. Oh, and Ric Flair! You know, and of course, in Memphis, it was Jerry Lawler before I got into the business. So that's how it kind of really all started for me. And it wasn't nothing that was pre-planned, pre-done. Uh, the writing, the music or anything. It's just something that took place. And it just, uh, I guess the Lord had a plan for me. And so he had a plan for me to do the music and a plan for me to do the wrestling business. And both of them are kind of combined together because we did a lot of the wrestling theme songs. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED highlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Yeah, rock and wrestling list, Jimmy Hart. You know, you did a lot of the theme songs. You just said that a second ago. I got a question for the modern standpoint. Is, are you a fan of where wrestling music has gone today for themes of superstars or wrestlers? And if so, is there any uh, modern songs you particularly like or care for? Well, let me tell you, I, I, of course, I watch Raw every Monday night. 
NXT on, on Tuesday night and SmackDown every Friday night. You know, I'm still a, a wrestleholic, you know, and I still got to do a lot of personal appearances for everybody. And um, so my main thing, I kind of enjoy all the theme songs, no matter who's written them or where they get them from or not. I just saw a thing on, on Spotify of, of my, my good buddy that works with me, Paul Robinson. He called me the day and said, Jimmy, check out Spotify. And I went, OK, we checked it out. And one of the songs that me and my partner wrote called Sexy Boy by Shawn Michaels has 10 million. 200,000 hits on Spotify. A lot That's of a banger. Say, I know a lot of people say if Jimmy Hart's lips are moving, he's lying, but check that out. <laughs> yeah. The Hart theme, uh, the Hart Foundation theme has 2 million plus something. Uh, the uh, Million Dollar Man song has tr- about 700,000 that we wrote. Uh, the, the Road Warriors has a lot. But one of my favorite songs, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, Jason Giambi, used to play for the Yankees and the A's, mm-hmm. of course. When he played for the Yankees, his theme song Going to the batting cage was the Wolfpack song that we wrote when I was in WCW. The Wolfpack, you know, woo! Dun, Another dun, banger. Dun, yeah. Dun, banger after banger. back on the Wolfpack. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and so I've just been blessed. I've been blessed by being in Memphis wrestling with Jerry the King Lawler. And then I, I had the greatest phone call of my life going to New York City and being part of the WWE. Mm-hmm. From there, after six or well, 10 years, went to WCW for a little run, back with New York, with WWE. And now I do a lot of the publicity for them. And like I said, I just had a call the other day. I'm doing a, a big charity thing, Connor's Cure. Uh, so I'm going to host that. So I'm so excited to be doing everything that I'm still doing at my age and still kicking. You, you, do, you mentioned that music was never initially the plan, but clearly music is a big part of who you are. It's in your blood, clearly. Yeah. What are you listening to right now? If you were to turn on uh, turn on something to listen to, do you listen to new stuff? Or are you listening to stuff uh, from the old days? What What are you listening to today? Well, this is a, a little bit. It's going to date me a little bit. It's going to say that I'm the oldest living teenager, not Dick Clark. <laughs> listen, I like some of the stuff Harry Styles. Listen, I like some of the stuff Harry Styles has got out. Can you? Ooh, he's got oh, yeah. out 15 days at rest uh, at uh, sorry, sorry, WrestleMania at Madison Square Garden. Uh, I love the Beach Boys, always my favorite since we toured with them. Um, I love the original Van Halen with David Lee Roth, uh, mm-hmm. Steely Dan, uh, Alden Oates. I mean, yeah. there's just so many of them I really love. And, and of course, coming from Memphis, I loved all the Isaac Hayes stuff. Matter of fact, on our first album, Isaac Hayes played keyboards. And, Stop uh, playing. Uh, 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 trying to think of the horn section that played horns on our stuff. I can't, I'm trying try to think of that in a minute. But, uh, but uh, like I said before, my background, I've just kind of liked a little bit of everything. It's kind of like going to the Golden Corral buffet. You get three or four <laughs> kinds of mashed potatoes, three or four kinds of beans or whatever else. And, and that's kind of music. I just like a little of everything, you know. I never, I never thought I'd have uh, Jimmy Hart on on the show, and I never thought I'd have Jimmy Hart uh, put over Harry Styles. So that's excellent. <laughs> As it was, yeah. Well, <laughs> but he's great, man. He, and he really like, is. You uh-huh. can't knock success. Fifteen days. At Madison Square Garden, come on, please. Let's go. Let's talk about it. Seriously, though, if if um if I had to ask you, sir, if you uh, a, a, a southern dish you would have somebody uh, eat if you were like if they were asking for good southern food, what would you what would you what would you direct them to? Well, you know, I don't eat a lot of meat. I'm not a vegan or anything, but I don't eat ham or turkey or fried chicken or cold chicken or whatever else. Everybody, I like beans and mashed potatoes. You know, growing up, I came from a single parent. My mother mm-hmm. raised me. And I got to be honest with you, we didn't really have a lot of money. And sometimes once a week on a Friday night, we were able to have a small minute steak, which a minute steak is almost like a a very thin envelope, okay? 
But uh, on Friday night, that was we had minute steak and rice and gravy. And that's what I always look forward to. And sometimes you just don't have a lot when you're growing up. So my meal was always beans and potatoes, beans and potatoes. We did a show called Legends House about four or five years ago. And everybody made fun of me because my meal every day that we got to cook our own meal was a can of beans and mashed and and baked potato. But that's what I love eating. So I kind of grew up like that. Mr. Mr. Harder, one thing that I realized uh, coming from humble beginnings and myself and my dad being from Mobile, Alabama, and and us not having a lot of money is appreciating those things. What what what's that like though? Because not everyone's able to come from humble beginnings and then be be in a place where they where they are you. What what's what's it? How is that? How do you stay grounded? Because not everyone can stay grounded in the, in regards to that. And how do you still enjoy those little things like the beans and mashed potatoes? How how does a person like Jimmy Hart do that? Well, you know what? I've never done drugs. Believe that or not, you can check my record. I've never done drugs uh, or, or, or I've never drank, you know, my whole life. That's how Laura and I met friends. We were cutting a music thing. The guy passed by the joint to us. And I said, I don't smoke. Laura goes, I don't either. He passed by the wine bottle. I said, I don't drink. Laura goes, I don't either. And that's, you know, we kind of clicked together on that. But here's the thing. I don't have any tattoo. Well, I have one tattoo right here. You know, my daughter passed away years ago. So my Hall of Fame ring I have put up, but I wore that. I keep this little heart tattoo on there for her. But I uh, I don't have I don't wear fancy jewelry. I drive a Kia, believe that or not, a Kia, and so I have that. I don't have any fancy cars or anything else, and I just have a simple life, you know. If I get to eat at Carabas, I'm happy, or McDonald's, I'm happy, or Wendy's, <laughs> I'm happy, or or uh, Golden Corral, I'm really happy with the vegetables. So that's kind of that's kind of my, the way I've always been, you know what I'm saying? And so. Uh, um, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. I just, it doesn't work for everybody. And not that I'm yeah. against anybody that does whatever they do. And, and, uh, but it's just, uh, I can only do, I make sure I can only afford what I really want to afford. And, um, and that's the way I've always kind of lived my life. And I have this one little bracelet on right here, too. Uh, what would Jesus do? I always wear that. I had a chance to go four tours overseas on a USO tour. And, wow. buddy, we got hit by incoming. Trust me, when we got hit in Kandahar by incoming, the guys that were with me, I think it was Nikolai Volkov, Diamond Dallas, wow. and Greg Dammer Valentine. Buddy, when I got back to States, I went right to that Bible store and I got this put on and it sold on too. And after that, I said, buddy, I'm wearing this full time. So I wash it every day so it's not dirty. I keep it on my wrist. But after that, it gave me a wake up call big time. Uh, Jimmy, um, uh- Jimmy, obviously, um, some of the big news that's happened recently is Vince McMahon has decided to retire from pro wrestling. And as we look back at WrestleMania 1, the start of something very big here, and now Vince finally stepping away, everyone has different stories about what uh, Vince McMahon was like to them. What was Vince McMahon like to you? Well, he he put food on our table for a long, long, long time. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, He gave me a break. For the big time up in New York City, I'll always be grateful for that. Um, every time I really had a meeting with him about anything, he was always positive. He was always up-tempo. When I walked at him looking in a room, his suits were like pressed. He looked great. His tie was in place. His hair was styled out. He was always kind of a picture of success. So it made you feel like you wanted to do better, you know? And um, like I said, he he. To me, I don't know about everybody else, but to me, he was always great. He always encouraged me. He always gave me a chance. Think of the guys he put me with. Oh my gosh, I got to manage 
Well, of course, I managed Rick Rubin in Memphis, but uh, he gave me King Kong Bundy, Adrian Adonis, Dino Bravo, the Hart Foundation, Red Hart, Nightheart, the Honky Tonk Man, uh, the wrestling referee, Danny Davis, Terry Funk, Dory Funk, um, the Nasty Boys, which I'm still debating on that one, but the Nasty Boys. <laughs> oh, I love them. I love the Nasty Boys. The me Rouge too. Brothers, yeah. uh, the Rouge O Brothers. Just, he gave me a chance to do my music. He'd always call me and say, Jimmy, do a song for Dusty Rhodes. I said, okay. And I'd take it to him. He goes, let Dusty hear it. And I'd take it to Dusty. Dusty goes, Jimmy. I said, Dusty, Vince want me to do a song for you. Dusty goes, all right. I said, what do you want? He goes, put a cowbell on it. I said, okay. He said, put me some singers on it. I said, okay. He said, I want some horns on it. I said, Dusty, why don't you just write it yourself? (laughs) So I made sure, but he just, he opened the door for me to be Jimmy Hart. Whatever Jimmy Hart's turned out to be, he opened the door for me on that, you know? And I'm always so, so grateful on that. Uh, Mr. Hart, uh, I mean this sincerely. This it's an honor for you to take the time. Um, I know your time is precious, so I really, I really appreciate you for taking the time to hang out with me and the fellas. And um, I'm, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get you out of here because that's a hell of a way to end, uh, end this. And I, I really, really appreciate you. Well, listen, y'all guys have been awesome. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for voting this uh, coming out of, of WrestleMania one. We're so grateful for that. And uh, like I said, because it gives a chance for everybody to see what it was really like and what it was really all about. You know, I'm going to watch it myself because I don't know what all is on it. So, uh, <laughs> but you guys, we love you. Thank you guys so much. And look, if you ever come to Tampa, Florida, Hulk Hogan's got a, uh, besides his clothing shop over there, he's got a little beach bar called Hogan's Hangout. And so if you get a chance, please come by. Give me a call when you get in town and I'll pick y'all up and I'll take you out there. How's that? Sounds, sounds incredible. Like, sounds actually. like a date. Friends, of, friends of Jimmy. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you, sir. We love y'all. Thank you so right. much. Right. Thank you. Yes, my people, that was the great, the great Jimmy Hart. Man, I love, I mean, I love Jimmy when I was growing up. I'm telling you, you, you don't even know. Like, those are the characters that I, um, I was always gravitated towards because they had a lot of, they had a lot of energy and he was, and damn it, he still has a lot of energy. <laughs> and literally, With when no you don't, caffeine. you don't, yeah, you don't, you don't know what you're getting. You don't know what you're getting when you when you interview somebody that I've always wanted to interview. And and I was, you know, I was literally just expecting to have an interview. I didn't know he's going to be Jimmy Hart on the interview. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so that was that was kind of good. It was with the with the with the great Southern draw too, brother. Yeah, guys. But literally, I just wanted. I, I, there was there was. You know why we brought him on, and and it's one of those things where I wanted to draw attention to what's going on, and it is that that WWE on A and E, and that is this Sunday, it is eight PM Eastern Standard Time. That biography on WWE Legends on WrestleMania One, and it's a two hour documentary that will capture how the event came together, what what it was like to be there behind the scenes, and some of the stories that fans might not know about. And uh, I just I really I really want you guys to, to watch it because I'm gonna be watching it. I'm, I'm gonna post up, take some time out of my day, and. And watch it as well. Oh, yo, oh, oh, I got a PS too. Yeah, uh, 10 p.m. season finale, WWE Rivals featuring the rivalry between Boo Thang, Stephanie McMahon, and Brie Bella. <laughs> Brie Mo. <laughs> That's Boo Thang right now, boy. <laughs> Welcome to the Queen Dad. <laughs> That's a banger right there. Uh, yeah, guys, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this impromptu special version of Mac Mania podcast. Uh, gentlemen, I, I thank you guys for taking time out of your day because I know it was I'm out of nowhere. So, fellas, I appreciate you carving out time in your day. Brian H. Waters, Flo Real Jack Farmer, gentlemen, I regret no that, that, that means a lot to me. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's over. You guys enjoy, enjoy Clash, man. Enjoy Clash. Yeah. Enjoy all out. Enjoy everything. Worlds collide. <laughs> enjoy Coke.
<laughs> oh yeah, the results are in, brother. Yeah. <laughs> or just grit yeah. your teeth through Pepsi, whatever. Yeah, or just yeah, like just like just. Ooh, ooh, that shit. Ooh, man, I hate. Ooh, I hate to be you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. Yeah.